power on. that opening music is or that opening sound you know exactly what we're going to be getting into you know exactly what's going to be on this list but before we get into this list you have to understand that you are now being surrounded well maybe you have like a dolby 8.1 surrounder how about that old dolby pro logic 2 baby you are being surrounded by the best in professional podcasting baby and we have got this is actually by request um i believe in a recent Zomia One Underground episode, uh, Gaming Grid Special, you know, <laughs> put it put a slash in the middle there. That I had said, I can't really picture doing a Nintendo 64 Sovereign Top Eight. Don't worry, you got plenty of more Sovereign Tech full-on Prime episodes coming to you, baby. But we got to get this one out because uh, just a great, great listener uh, requested this, and I, as always. Aim to please. So the golden saying, the man of tomorrow, Sabzu, the rated R radio star, ready to talk some Nintendo 64. Cause like I said, I wasn't going to. And part of the reason is, and this is going to speak to our, I mean, we'll get into a little bit of the history of the N64, a little bit of my own history with the N64. Um, part of the reason I'm not, you know, that, that I didn't think I'd really talk about this is that a, a lot of the best games for the system their best versions are not on the N64. And I feel like it'd be very redundant to talk, like to do a separate N64 list. And it would almost be not shameful, but almost pointless for me to, you know, talk about Mario 64, right? When Mario 64 DS is just an infinitely better game. I mean, Mario 64 is still great. You know, don't confuse me. But when Mario 64 is an infinitely better game, infinitely replayable, and that might actually be accurate that you could do it infinitely, you know, into infinity. Um, Or, you know, how Majora's Mask 3D, right? How that solves so many of the glitches, so many of the problems within, uh, you know, within Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. Or how Star Fox 64, I mean, just the tightness of that, of that experience on the 3DS. Again, I mean, it, it just, it, it felt fruitless, you know, to, to do that, to talk about those big games. But the person emailed me and basically said, hey, but couldn't you talk about the games, you know, that you did love? And because there had to be some of them. Yeah, and and I can. And, and there are ones, I mean, there are games that are going to be on this list that maybe you didn't think about. I'm going to kind there's going to be some cheating involved here. Okay. (laughs) In this top eight, but I mean, it kind of speaks to my point. The reason I couldn't imagine it. So there's, it's not only that the best games for the N64 have been re-released or remastered and redone for other systems. It's not only that it's that I really feel like, I mean, a lot of the games that came out for the N64 were either like, a PlayStation game that got the, you know, the, the, the title of 64 slapped onto the end of it. 
Um, and it would be an inferior, you know, a, a much inferior game or an inferior experience anyway, even if the gameplay was more or less the same. For example, Sub-Zero uh, or Mortal Kombat Mythologies Sub-Zero. Uh, that game, regardless of, of how you feel about the playability, I like it. It's basically, you know, a Mortal Kombat game side-scroller, right? But it's a fighting game that just happens to be a side-scroller. I think it's charming. What makes it extra charming is the full motion video. However, for the N64 version, as compared to the PlayStation version, they could not put the full motion video onto the cartridge because, of course, the N64 is a cartridge based system as to where, you know, the PlayStation was optical based, was disc based uh, or, you know, CD based. Uh, it's ironic that <laughs> the wheel is turned and now, you know, most people accept the concept of the, of the cartridge, but that's of course because cartridges now can hold tons of space far more uh, than, you know, flash memory can hold far more than any real optical disc um, out there. Not to say that optical discs haven't given it the old college try when you, you know, consider BDXL and, and so on. Um, but there, a lot of those, you know, ports were, were systems were sharing the same game uh, on the N64. They'd be vastly inferior experiences. I don't want to say again, gameplay might've been exactly the same, but there's experiences that are, that are kind of missing. Uh, I mean, there are great games for the system, no doubt, but, it, but again, it, it just seems like a really, really short list. And I've got to tell you that a part of me thinks that the reason a lot of N64 games have been uh, ported or remastered or significantly added to, like in some of the examples we gave earlier, is because Nintendo knows that they lost the, you know, that generation's console war. Um, they lost against the PlayStation. Everybody did. Even the Saturn, as good a system as that was. And so they probably knew that there are a lot of people who did not, who they may have heard about these legendary games, the few, but they never really got to play them. Um, so, and I mean, there's, there's arguments to be made there because a lot of the great experiences for the N64 were four player games, right? Which was kind of newer territory, not totally new, but I mean, cause look folks, you can go back to mule m.u.l.e. You can go to back to Mule on the on the NES, and that had four player, right? So it's not like four player was totally new, but it, certainly when it became like a stock thing and a stock concept uh, with the N64, and of course the Dreamcast would copy it and so on. Um, but like the great games, you went to somebody's, you know, you went to Little Billy's house or whoever's house to share those experiences. So you didn't really have to own an N64, right? You could get away with not as long as one of your buddies had it, you could all join up and, you know, and rock out some gold night. So there's a lot of reasons why I feel like the N64 wasn't, uh, you know, might have somewhat lost to the, to the PlayStation. Uh, I mean, th th again, there's never only one reason. There are a lot of factors. It's, but a big part of it, ultimately for me comes down to either it was shoddy ports. I mean, it's a miracle resident evil two got on there, but it's either shoddy ports um, or just a lack of really, really great exclusive games. I mean, I challenge you, you're, you're kind of hard pressed to think in America anyway, of a really great RPG. 
I mean, we could talk, you know, Jet Force Gemini, which is not on this list. It should be, but it's not. Uh, I mean, you can think of a, a lot of games and, you know, as much as Nintendo got it right, got 3D right, because this is their first 3D system, even though, you know, they did quasi 3D with the Super Nintendo, as much as they got it right with Mario 64, as much as they got it right with Ocarina of Time, as much as they got it right with Star Fox 64, an easy formula to follow up on, okay, as much as they got it right with a few games on the system, there were a lot of games where, frankly, it stunk. Like, I mean, they just, they did not get it right. I'll tell you something. The, the Nintendo 64 has the distinction for me who I am, I'm not going to say it's my favorite franchise art could be my favorite character. I, look, I, I love Kirby. I think Kirby is just a fantastic video game franchise, a fantastic character. Uh, I mean, the sky's the limit with, with a, you know, a franchise and a character like that. Um, but Kirby's outing on the, you know, on, on the N64, that, that being Kirby 64, the crystal shards, I guess it got positive reviews at the time, but I think the game's horrible. Like it doesn't even make sense. It, it's, it's terribly, terribly clunky. Um, you know, even I have to admit when, when I do go back, if I go back to play like donkey Kong 64 and this game was a big deal, right? Because you're following up a tremendous trilogy that rare did, uh, you know, with donkey Kong country, but when they did donkey Kong 64, eh, you know, if you go back and play it, like it's a game that, that also I feel like doesn't make a whole ton of sense. It's a very, very weird game. So the N64 is not without its problems. And I do think that it's a fairly short list uh, of games that are really, you know, out of the hundreds of games that came out for the system. Um, I know some, some sites have like a list of 50 best N64 games. Boy, I think that's a, that's a damn stretch to say that there are especially like exclusive games for that system. I, I think that's a stretch to claim that there are, that there are 50 like really, really great games. I don't know that. I mean, it's another reason that I kind, I, I have to admit because I've been wondering, and I think a lot of Nintendo fans have, uh, in which I include myself in that number. A lot of us have been wondering, you know, why didn't they do an N64 mini? I think they were going to do it. I mean, we saw some of the patent filings that suggested it, right? I think they got to that. And then they probably said, yeah, but we only got like 10 good games <laughs> <You know? laughs> as to where normally, you know, they're tossed on 20 to 30. Now you can easily fill out, um, a, you know, a lot of great games, even just first party titles from Nintendo on an N64 mini or N64 classic, whatever you want to call it. Uh, of course we saw the virtual console for Wii and what that delivered. Right. Um, again, I mean, ultimately I think the reason we never got an N64 mini or we've yet to, uh, and that I'm actually not supportive of it is because the, you know, again, the, the ports and remasters and re-releases that have been done over the years are far superior. Again, it's not just like nice little touches. They are far superior to their N64 originals. So I just, I, I don't know that it makes a whole ton of sense for them, you know, for them to do it. Uh, I mean, I think a GameCube mini would be an absolute winner. Cause I think a lot of people, unfortunately, a lot of people miss that system. I think a Game Boy mini of some kind would be very, very interesting. Um, but yeah, the N64, I can see why you'd really, I can see why you'd skip it. Um, I mean, the best N64 you can own is a 3DS <laughs> in, in many ways. Uh, and that that's without going homebrew at that. But regardless, 
Um, the N64, let's talk about it a little bit. Uh, this is a system that for American chores would hit in September of 1996. Uh, obviously it was a sequel to the super Nintendo on the super Nintendo's reputation alone. You knew it was going to push, uh, or is going to move a lot of units. Um, and it did, it did fairly well. Uh, it's just that Sony was a fucking juggernaut at the time. Um, and I, you also had, I mean, look, people can rip on the Saturn as much as they want. And Sega can even, you know, you can get all the guys from Sega, Bernie Stoller and whoever else, and they can talk shit about the Saturn, whatever. But the Saturn, you know, the, the developers that wanted to do something for the Saturn really did amazing work. And you still had a lot of Sega loyalists at the time, um, you know, who were diehards for that system. And so, you know, for the first time, really, Nintendo was not just taking on one competitor. They were taking on two and, you know, the prices of these systems had gone up, uh, to a point where, you know, not everybody can just buy all four or buy all three or however. I mean, because yes, it was a very competitive era, no doubt. Um, but also, I mean, the N64, there was some, some earlier branding with it being the ultra 64. Uh, we'll probably get into that conversation as we talk about the sovereign top eight, um, you know, I mean, it had a little bit of an identity crisis, uh, that I think also might've, and, and, and you had to wait for it. I, I, I don't want to say that the system was delayed, but it felt very delayed because I remember playing cruise in USA in arcades and you'd see that symbol for the ultra 64. We'll talk about that when we get into the list and you know, all you're wanting is, all right, well, where, where's the ultra 64? Can I buy it? I want it. I want it right now. And then you're just waiting and waiting and waiting and you're waiting too long. And Sony's just gaining ground as you move on. Uh, I think another thing that a lot of people were very, I mean, I appreciate Nintendo, like really trying out new things with controllers. You know, I, I, I give them all the credit in the world and the N64 controller was certainly a very unique animal. There's, there's no doubt about that. I do think that that really turned a lot of people off. In fact, even if you like wanted to, before you asked mommy or daddy for the N64 for Christmas, you might've played it over at little Johnny's house. And the way you had to hold that controller, you're just like, what, what the fuck am I doing? You know, when, when I'm holding this thing sideways and you know, I mean, it, it's odd, right? Again, I, I'm not knocking Nintendo for that, but let's just talk about popular consciousness here that, that, you know, did some denting in that. So it's a system that had a lot really going against it at the time. Um, but that doesn't mean ultimately that it didn't have some really great games, but it didn't, again, it just didn't have enough in my opinion. So this is one of the easiest top eights I've ever done and something to understand I did not own initially during its initial run. I did not own a Nintendo 64 um, because again, a lot of the games I did not find compelling. We'll talk about some of the games that I did find compelling where, where I felt the whole time like, Oh man, I, I got to play this. I got to play this. I got to know what that's like. That looks amazing. You know, and you'd see a game trailer for it or whatever. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about those, but this is a system that I ended up playing later on. Now, does that color my opinion of it? Uh, I would dare say it makes it a little more objective, you know, a little less of a nostalgia lens, but bottom line being is that I have been able to play to completion, basically uh, what I would consider all the great games for the system. 
that were, again, more or less only for the system. And there wasn't a better port for the PlayStation or even Sega Saturn for that matter. So this is one where now, I mean, look, when, when it was white hot, you know, when the Nintendo 64 was dominating between 64 and 2000, or when it was, you know, uh, the hot thing going, I guess you could say it never dominated over the PlayStation necessarily, but when it was the hot thing going, um, yeah, I played a ton of GoldenEye. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> because when somebody had an N64 and you're all, you know, having a sleepover at buddy's house, whatever, that's what everybody fucking did. They went and they rocked some GoldenEye, you know? So sure. I did that. Um, you know, and there are some other games that, uh, that I played like that, like smash brothers, like, uh, um, you know, Mario Kart 64 and, and, and some others, you know, that I definitely had experience while they were, you know, again, while it was the hot thing. Um, but a lot of games I did not get it, get to until, uh, much later. Um, regardless, I think I'm going to deliver to you a top eight, some of which is not a surprise. Some of which I think are games that, you know, you might not have thought of in a while, uh, you might've missed. Um, but then, you know, there are games here that sure, like that it, it's not going to surprise you at all, uh, that that would make the list. So without getting any further, I mean, everybody knows the N64, it's not a system that needs a whole ton of explanation, uh, you know, or to get any, I mean, because it's not like it, it wasn't, you know, at the time, the game video game industry was, I don't want to say it was on autopilot. It was certainly going through an incredibly transformative time, but it was a guarantee. Like you knew if you if your name was Nintendo <laughs> that you were going to do all right, um, at the time. So it's not something that has any like weird battle behind it. I mean, certainly, you know, there's, there's interesting history around the Sega Saturn. There's interesting history around the Sony PlayStation, whole documentaries about all of that. But for the N64, I feel like that was, that was pretty much, you know, guaranteed to be what it was going to be. And, and there's not a whole lot of point in getting into a ton of the history around it. Um, other than saying, why did it do what it did? How did it do? And so on, which we got into. So with all of that said, and I'm sure I've pissed off somebody who just really, really loved the N64. Right. And look, I mean, I, I had buddies who, yes, they did love that damn system. I'm glad that they had one because it allowed me to play some of the games on this list at that time. Um, but then also I know a lot of people who had an N64 because it was for them the most or the, the, the best guarantee of a good experience of a quality experience, which, yeah, I think that's not unfair to say when you're picking up something Nintendo, not unfair. I'm not saying it's always true and that you could play Madden on, right? <laughs> that, that, how many gamers are just waiting for the latest version of Madden? You, you know who you are and I'm not knocking you at all. I enjoy the Madden games as well. I think Madden 03 is one of the best gaming experiences you can play. I mean, it's basically an RTS, you know, it's sure it's football, but it's an RTS at the end of the day. Um, not my, not my favorite football game. Uh, and I'm also not like a big fan of football at all, but you know, I can appreciate from a gaming, you know, on a console perspective, I can appreciate football in that sense. Um, you know, I mean that honor would go to, uh, uh, blitz the league for the PlayStation two tremendous game. Anyway, um, Let's get into, let, let, let's get into the list. I've been talking for like 20 minutes here, giving you some intro, um, on, on everything. I mean, another thing to understand too. Okay. I did have a PlayStation at the time. That was a system that I was definitely very passionate about. Uh, but PC gaming was also in a golden age at the time 
that the Nintendo 64 was a thing and PC gaming could do, you know, 3d rendering and, you know, a lot of these other tricks that consoles were pulling off. It could do them in spades and then, you know, throw in five kitchen sinks while it's at it. So, you know, if you had, if you were lucky enough to have a computer at the time, you knew how much better, especially when 3d graphics cards were, you know, firstly, I mean, your voodoo card, you know, when they were first becoming a thing, uh, you knew the experiences that you had and just how far above and beyond they were, uh, to anything happening on consoles ultimately. Uh, so that's another thing to consider too, is that, okay, if I have two systems that I'm going to play, and I don't think that's unfair. Most people do own like two systems that they're going to play. That's been kind of a, uh, almost a, a trope, uh, a norm, dare I say in gaming for frankly, well, ever since, you know, the SNES and, and the Genesis, um, you know, my two systems were really ultimately the PlayStation and, you know, my computer, uh, sure there was the Saturn around, but you know, the, those experiences were perhaps a little more limited. Uh, even though I love that system to death, I love that system to death. And at some point we will go over that, um, because I've got one sitting to my right, uh, that, that we need to talk about that whole experience with. So anyway, but we're talking about the N64 right now. Let's get into our top eight games. And as I usually say, I don't do these in any specific number. If you're in the top eight, you're already one of the greatest games of all time, ultimately. Uh, but sometimes I give you a number one that's actually number one. And in this case, I'm going to give you that number one. Um, and that, so we'll start off with the best. And it's one of the, it's not, it's technically not exactly a launch title, but it, it's basically a launch title. Uh, that would be none other than Star Wars Shadows of the Empire. Uh, this is, now you, you have to understand, Shadows of the Empire. So initially it started off as a novel and it was a very exciting novel because it was a novel that took place written by Steve Perry, not that Steve Perry. It was a novel that took place between the empire strikes back and return of the Jedi. This was largely, um, unexplored territory for the expanded universe at that time. This is all pre Disney. Okay. We're in the nineties here. This is unexplored territory for star Wars to, to go down any kind of official road. Uh, George Lucas apparently was to some degree involved. It had everything. It was a multimedia project in every sense of the word. Uh, it had the video game which I just mentioned, it had the novel, it had a comic book series, would even have a sequel comic book series. It had a making book called Secrets of Shadows of the Empire. It had an art book, like any good Star Wars project should. Uh, it was the art of the Brothers Hildebrandt. Really, it's just a Shadows of the Empire art book. Um, it had action figures, not just action figures, like, ooh, nice, you know, limited uh, bonus action figures. They had, you had full-on vehicles. You had the out, you had Dash Rendar's Outrider. Uh, you had... Uh, swoop bikes. You had all kinds of stuff, all labeled shadows of the empire. This was a big fucking deal. Could you make star Wars a huge deal without a movie? I would argue that they succeeded, uh, particularly in the fact that this game, it was, I mean, a million seller almost instantly. Uh, it was one of the initial greatest hits that, you know, like that, that the Nintendo 64 ever really, uh, you, you know, put, put some energy behind to talk about, uh, or like player's choice, whatever they were calling it at the time. Um, this was, of course, they were copying. We talked about this when we did the PlayStation one um, top eight is that, you know, when, when Sony did the greatest hits, just how much of a pun intended game changer that was that you're getting triple a titles brand new at a discounted price. 
Well, when Nintendo started doing player's choice, I mean, Shadows of the Empire was there because it was one of the hottest games of its day. Uh, now, this is a game where largely a lot of a lot of people that think back on it, and even reviewers at the time, basically said, well, you know, the opening, because it opens up, again, it's between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, telling you things from a different perspective than the novel. This is a fully Dash Rendar game, okay? It's all about Dash Rendar. They didn't have to deal with Luke Skywalker. They didn't have to deal with any of that, even though it would have been great to have them in the game. Um, this is all about Dash Rendar. This is a game that made me love that character, okay? So it opens up at the Battle of Hoth, uh, you know, like during the Empire Strikes Back. And basically everybody went nuts over this level. It was genius on LucasArts part to make this the first level uh, because you instantly felt like you were in star Wars, just like a lot of other games will start off with the death star trench run, right? It gives you that feeling how, how, you know, how much fidelity does that have and gauging how much fidelity that has is a question of whether or not people are going to want to go further in your star Wars games, because there are certainly, there have certainly been shitty ones, right. And ones that did not pay any fidelity to, uh, you know, to, to star Wars as you knew it at the time in the 1990s. This is a brilliant move. Yes, the Battle of Hoth, and that is still just as exciting when you try and play it today on a modern system, which you can. We'll talk about that. Uh, you know, it's just as exciting today as it was, you know, back in the mid-90s when you would pick it up and rock it, or later 90s, I guess, technically. So it covers, again, it's covering this, not really a side story, but a different aspect of the, of the larger shadows of the empire story, which is what it would do across these multimedia projects. Like the comic book would deal with something different, uh, than what the novel did. And the game would do something different from those two It's a really, really brilliant strategy to get the complete story around shadows of the empire. You'd have to meet it in all of these different mediums. I love that. Uh, and not that it was unheard of at the time, but nobody had taken it as seriously. And I don't think it had ever been really been done with such a large franchise. So the video game itself, um, after the battle of Hoth, a lot of people feels, feel like the game basically nosedives. Like it's just mediocre after that point. I don't agree with that at all, especially if you're a star Wars fan, because in pretty short order, you're taking on Boba Fett, who was white hot, at the time, as far as a star Wars character, everybody loved Boba Fett, myself included. Okay. Maybe not everybody, but a lot of fans did. He was an internet sensation when the internet was something quite nascent, quite new. So you're taking him on, uh, you get to fly around something akin to the millennium Falcon, that being dash Rendar's outrider. You get to do the swoop bike scenes. I mean, you're going around. It just, it hits all the right notes. Uh, and there are so many different ways to play. Because there's starship battles, there's, you know, riding around on the soup bike, there's walking around, you know, kind of like Tomb Raider, uh, you know, there's all these different modes that you get to do and, and you get a story within all of that. Um, and then, I mean, to get the complete story, it keep, it made you play on like a harder difficulty level to find out what ultimately happened to Dash Rendar and so on. It's awesome. I mean, I, I think it's a brilliant fucking game. It's incredibly exciting. It's Star Wars gaming done right, which you can't always count on. Now, about a year after it would come out for the N64, it would get re-released for the PC. This is the way you can still play it today. I'm kind of surprised it has not been re-released on the Nintendo Switch, much like some other games that are on this list have been, or on modern consoles in general, not necessarily just the Nintendo Switch. 
but you can get it on GOG uh, and you get the PC version. Now the PC version does a nice thing where kind of like we talked about with Sub-Zero mythology or mythology Sub-Zero, uh, you get full motion video, like, you know, with giving you much more of the story, there's voice acting, everything gets played out. I mean, this was supposed to be, the sad part is this is supposed to be a much larger game. Like I think originally it was going to have 19 levels. Then I think in Nintendo power, they said, Oh, there'll be 12 levels. And then ultimately it got boiled down to 10. Again, there were 10, in my opinion, amazing levels. Uh, but yeah, the PC version is better. No doubt about that. But for about a year, the only way you could experience it was on the N64. Um, is the PC version, you know, is the PC version like a better experience? Absolutely. However, I would not put Shadows of the Empire in a top eight list of PC games. I don't know if I'd even put it in a top 100 of PC games as much as I love this game. So for the N64, it has a lot more impact and thus it's on this list. Um, I think a lot of the people that don't understand dash Rendar, they probably didn't play shadows of the empire, <laughs> you know, to, to really get it. Uh, but I think he's such a great character. In fact, I do hope that he makes uh, a bit more of a return, um, in Disney's tenure. I mean, I'm sure it's just a matter of time, but regardless, uh, yeah, shadows of the empire. This was, I mean, just an amazing experience on the N64. Um, and why don't we go ahead? Let's go into number two. So that's really my number one. Uh, and for a lot of people, that was like the first game they really got outside of maybe Mario 64. Uh, and, and you know, every the critics can say what they want. The reviewers can say what they want. But just about everybody that I ever talked to at the time, everybody was like, oh, no, that's, that game's fucking awesome. You know, I mean, it was just it was talk of the town. Something else that became talk of the town that also happens to have the words Star Wars in front of it at the time was Star Wars Episode One Racer. This is the game version of what many people at the time, fans and critics alike, considered the only good thing in Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace, that being the pod racing scene. Uh, I understand where these people are coming from as somebody who actually loves Episode One. And I don't just mean episode one racer, but who loves episode one. Um, I still get where everybody's coming from on this. And George Lucas, you know, did himself a lot of favors, basically wanting to copy the chariot race scene from Ben Hur. What is easily one of the single greatest movies of all time. Um, so, of course, it was very exciting, just like it was fucking exciting in Ben Hur. Uh, maybe with a little less on the line in episode one, but you get my point. So the video game version of this translated directly basically from what you saw on the movie screen and it worked brilliantly. Uh, it was also kind of the first game to take advantage of the expansion pack for the N64, um, where you could have a little more memory on it. That gave you, I think like some extra players in the game. Uh, it's, it's a tremendous experience and it's such a great experience. I think it still holds up to this day. And in 2020, which we are updating all of these sovereign top eight video game lists for in 2020, you can actually own and play, uh, star Wars episode one racer, or now they just call it star Wars racer. I guess they're still afraid of that episode one moniker. You can play it on most, uh, modern consoles and PC. Um, it's not, I mean, it looks better than it ever has because this game would also appear on dreamcast, uh, with somewhat updated graphics, 
but it definitely looks its best now, but they didn't really add anything in uh, to it. And I don't think there's been an update to the game since hell. I think when it, when it came out, when did it finally come out like in July or something like that? I don't think there was one update and then there, there hasn't been any, any sense, but regardless, it plays just like it did on the N64. And that is a great experience. Uh, one of the best racing games I think ever made, uh, definitely stood up against say Wipeout on PlayStation and some other racing games involved there. Um, I think it's the best racing game experience on the N64, better than Mario Kart, which is why Mario Kart or even Diddy Kong Racing does not appear on this top eight. I'll let that cat out of the bag. As great as those games are, the best racing experience, bar none, even better than Wave Race 64, and that's fucking great, is Episode One Racer uh, on the N64. You, I mean, if you've never played it, you're, I, I just, and I've said this before, like when I was reviewing the re-release, uh, this year on Sovereign Tech. I don't know what the magic is with this game. Something about it just makes it makes you feel like you are going so fucking fast. Like it feels like the fastest racing game ever made, you know, just like the speed on the screen. It just, it just screams speed. And I, I don't know how they did that. The only game better is its sequel, which came out for the PlayStation two, that being uh star Wars racer revenge, uh, which I do think is a superior game, but also a lot less available. Maybe one day we'll get a re-release. Um, anyway, so there you go. Now, I know I just said that that's the best racing experience, but then you're also going to get a couple other racing games here. Really, you're going to get one other one, but I'm going to mention another because it's important. Uh, and this is where we get into number three, and that is San Francisco Rush 2049. Now, this was a toss-up between putting this on this list or cruise in USA cruise in USA technically is the first Nintendo 64 experience that anybody in the world had because it came out almost like two years before the system actually landed, but it was branded as a Nintendo 64 or what at the time was called ultra 64 game. It was not using ultra 64 hardware in the arcades when you played it. Okay. Uh, did the home version look just as good despite the scandal around the gal who's like waving the flag and everything that was a porn star. Uh, yep. The game looked just as good in, you know, when, when you or more or less looked just as good when you got it home as it did in arcades, uh, midway did great work. This is, this was not a Nintendo game at all, uh, but midway delivered as they often do on these kinds of experiences. Think hydro thunder and so on. So cruising USA could have been on the list, but because episode one racer is on the list cruising USA as great a racing game as it is. And I really think it is cruising world's even better. Uh, you know, it's not the best racing experience, so I didn't put it on the list, but it's worth mentioning because again, it is the first technically probably the first N64 quote unquote game. Again, it really in the arcades, it was on different hardware, but it's the first game that anybody really played you know, and it was a good one. And I think it hooked a lot of people. Again, we wanted the N64 that day, the instant that we played cruising, uh, cruising USA. Um, but we couldn't get it And that. Well, ultimately I think that hurt Nintendo, but regardless, it, it was an interesting move on their part to effectively release an N64 game when the, an N64 didn't exist, but release it in arcades for everybody to play. Like, no one's ever really tried to pull that off before. The only thing that would come close would be Soul Calibur with the Dreamcast, but that wasn't like a, a uh, I don't think that as, as far as I understand, that wasn't an actual marketing move. That wasn't a, a, you know, a marketing technique. 
Regardless, um, I'm not going to put Cruise in USA on this list. I am putting San Francisco Rush 2049 on, though. But then you're saying Stallion. You said, but Episode 1 Racer is the best racing game on the system. Why are you putting another racer on there if you're not going to put Mario Kart 64, if you're not going to do this? Because San Francisco Rush 2049 is not great for being a racing game. San Francisco Rush 2049, and I've talked about this game many times over the years on Sovereign Tech and various Sony One Underground and Gaming Grid content. San Francisco Rush 2049 is one of the best battle games you will ever play in your fucking life. And it doesn't matter how old the game gets. It is just so. Yeah. I mean, you ever go to like, you know, one of those really nice New York city restaurants, right? Like remember cafe 45 places like that. And the food comes out and you just look at it and the way everything's laid out and, and, and you just like, the scent hits you just right. The visuals are just right. And if you use your utensils in the right order, believe me, I hate eating like this, but just to explain the point, if you use the utensils in the right order, you realize how much thought was put into every part of the experience of that meal. That, that is what you got with, uh, basically the death matches or battle mode. Not the racing. The racing's fine. Racing's good. I enjoyed the, you know, it's, it's a great racer on its own. Lots of high flying stuff. But when you get into battle mode and you have all those weapons and you get to customize your car so much. Oh, <laughs> you are in for the time. You will lose entire days. You will lose sleeps. I mean, you, you won't sleep for days is my point. That that's, that's how much you're going to play this. And I mean, I feel bad for anybody you invite to play it as well. And on the N64, you had four player. Oh man. I mean, the only reason I think that people still don't talk about this game is because everybody was playing Goldeneye. And I understand that was a great experience, but fucking A is, was this, this was top notch multiplayer action blows away almost anything other than Goldeneye, maybe one other game that'll be on this list blows away just about every other multiplayer experience on the N64. You've, you have to play this. Now, it's available on other systems as part of the Midway Arcade Treasures series. I think it's on Volume 2, uh, which is a great collection to have as well because it has Primal Rage, has a bunch of other great games. This is just a must-play game. It also ended up getting released for the Dreamcast. Uh, it was a great experience there as well. Um, I mean, you'll just, you could play this game forever. The battle mode alone, it, it's totally, totally worth it. Um, so that's why it's here. Cause not for the racing it's for the battle mode that a lot of people ignored. Um, and there's a lot of unlockables with the N64 version as well, but anyway, let's move on to number four and we'll keep on, we'll keep playing on the theme that being the multiplayer experience. Yes. Goldeneye 007 would have, has every right to be on this list. However, technically it is not. What is on this list is it's, I hate this phrase, but I'll say it is its spiritual successor. It's sequel made by the same company. Okay. That being perfect dark, perfect dark took everything great about Goldeneye and just improved it infinitely right down to the fact that, that you even have a better protagonist in, in Joanna dark. She's, she's awesome in this game. You get a great story, uh, a story that is continued in many ways to this day. Uh, you, I mean, and it's dark, it's gritty, uh, the multiplayer, they just turned everything up to, I don't know, 22, pick a number above 10. I mean, they just turned or above 11. They, they just turned it all the way up. 
uh, talk about throwing the kitchen sink. They threw the kitchen sink at this game. This is to this day, you can still play this game. And that's the thing you can play the single player too. Cause the storyline is that engaging and that kind of, you know, get some great mystery around it and everything. Um, the important thing to recognize with this game is that now a lot of people, I mean, Goldeneye holds a very special place in a lot of people's hearts and rightfully so in mine as well. Okay. However, if you play it today, eh, you know, I mean, and I have played it today. In fact, Ellen's kicked my ass right and left at it. Uh, and, and that's not why I'm, 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 it's not on my list because, you know, I got beat by a girl. <laughs> no, she's awesome. She, she beats me in most games. Um, it's, it's not because of that. All right. The, the single player, everything about it, it just, it doesn't work as well today. It It's a game that doesn't exactly hold up, which is why there have been multiple attempts to modernize it. But Perfect Dark does not, for whatever reasons, does not have that problem. Um, Perfect Dark still plays fine today. The graphic levels got just like a, to a little bit of finer detail to where it's a little easier on the eyes. Uh, it, it's a tremendous experience. And again, a storyline that will absolutely hook you. I mean, to the point where, yeah, there's comic books, there's novels. Um, you're going to want to read them all. You're going to want to experience them all. You know, there's something to be said for this too. Uh, a lot of these games... And a lot of games for the N64, some of the really great ones, like you even think the Legend of Zelda games and so on. You know, if you don't want to like take the 40 to whatever, however many hours it takes to beat some of these games, always remember, you can just watch the YouTube video, not of somebody else playing it, you know, in commenting, but like watching it like a movie, uh, which for a lot of games in this era, they were still riding very high on, okay, we have to deliver a great, compelling, emotional experience for the game player. And they didn't rely so much on say like the horse shit with, you know, your, your call of duties over the years and whatever else. And boy, that's a fitting name uh, <laughs> where, where, you know, it's all, almost all multiplayer, you know, and that's what it's all about. And yeah, there's just, there, there's, you know, you, back then you had to deliver on the single player experience and it's very worthwhile. I think to watch some of these games, um, you know, with their, you know, just to get the storyline, even if you don't have the time to play them all go, you know, again, go watch the game, uh, watch the expert play it and take you through the entire story and, you know, just, just get the beauty of that. So perfect dark at number four, let's move on. Cause I'm about 40 minutes and I, I don't want this to go too long. Um, number five, doom 64. This was the game that for whatever reason, none of my friends really seem to have that I saw the trailer for, and I wanted to play it because I have loved doom for a very long time, ever since I was a wee little lad and to see doom in really impressive 3d, uh, was revolutionary at the time. Um, because it seemed like it was a trick, even though we had quake and quake two by then on PC, it seemed like it was a trick that the PC couldn't do. Of course it could, but it didn't doom 64. Uh, now that is a game you, that has also been, uh, re-released in recent years and they've like added to it and whatever, and made it part of the larger doom mythos. It's, it's actually, and, and that's really cool where it has connective tissue with other doom games, including, you know, modern ones. Um, this is, I don't want to say it's the best version of doom, but it's a hell of a version of doom pun intended there. 
Uh, one of the best times you'll have going through the hellscape. I mean, you pick up the chainsaw and daddy, it is on. Uh, I, I love this game. This is one of when I, when N64 emulators finally became a thing, this is one of the first games I powered up and just would not put down. It was so much fun. Um, and it's also something I put a lot, a lot of hours on, on my switch, uh, as again, you can get it, uh, on modern consoles remastered and they did really, really great work with that. So doom 64, you've got to check it out. If you're a doom fan at all, you've, I mean, and it's still a solid FPS. It really is. Uh, let's go to number six. Number six is WWF No Mercy. This, to some people, is considered the greatest wrestling game of all time. Um, I don't agree with that, but at the same time, I do. Like, I I get it because it's not the brawler type game. This is a strategic wrestling game, uh, you know, in the vein of more like Fire Pro Wrestling and, and some others. Uh, it is a brilliant game. It is a game that there are modded ROMs of it to this modded versions, basically of it to this day where they keep adding in, you know, modern rosters of wrestlers and so on and keep enhancing the package. Uh, it's, it's completely worth the N64 emulation scene on its own to play. Uh, and there's, there's quite a few of them, um, of the, you know, the modded versions of WWF no mercy. So that's, this is one of those games where it's a little bit of a cheat. Because yes, it was great at the time, but it's, it's even greater today because nothing really matches its gameplay style. Still nothing has ever really like, uh, improved upon it or even tried to really mimic it very well, in my opinion. And that's fine. I mean, I like a good brawler, you know, pushing buttons and everything else to make it nice and easy, you know, and get four player action going on in a SmackDown game. Um, but no one else, no one else has really taken up this formula. In my opinion, uh, fire pro wrestling is great stuff. I'm a big fan of those games, but nobody's really taken up on this. And again, they've, the game has only gotten better, different types of matches. I mean, it's such a expansive game now in 2020. Um, it's a must play experience, but it was great back then as well. Um, and was for many people, the premier wrestling game. Uh, I mean, WrestleMania 2000 was fantastic. Of course, that development team originally worked on, what was it, uh, uh, WCW NWO Revenge, awesome game, but then they just got, you know, started working on the WWF roster or WWE. And yeah, I mean, you can't go wrong with this. So definitely belongs in the top eight list, even though, you know, it's one of those situations where now you want to play the latest version of it. I mean, it's, it's absolutely worthwhile. So regardless, uh, let's move on to number seven. Number seven, not a cheat, but also a game that most people didn't play until the Wii came out with the virtual console. And also the Wii had this game's uh, successor, uh, which uh, of all things was called Star Successor. Uh, that's not the name of the game. The name of the game is Sin and Punishment. And of course, its sequel, which was uh, directly for the Wii, was uh, uh, Sin and Punishment Star Successor. That, so the virtual console allowed you, and they, they came out concurrently, the virtual console made a fully English, officially English translated, because originally it was only in Japanese, version of Sin and Punishment. This is an on-rails shooter. Think uh, Space Harrier, think Panzer Dragoon, and so on, but developed by Nintendo. How great could a game like that be? Let me tell you, it's fucking great. It's amazing. Uh, <laughs> it's sequel for the Wii is equally brilliant. Um, but this is a gorgeous game. 
the controls, yes, as weird as the N64 controller is, are are incredibly tight. Let me let me, you know, touch on this for a second. Because like Retrobit, the company Retrobit, they've come out with N64 controllers that are let's say a little more traditional, make a little more sense. Um so you don't have to play these games in the, you know, with with that what you might see is, and it is a very weird controller that the N64 uh, stock had. So you have options here. Um, and star successor though. I, I mean, this is a must play, get your hands on the translated ROM, however you can, uh, or whatever it takes to play this. If you, you know, are fluent in Japanese, tremendous, uh, just a, just a brilliant game. Again, if you like Panzer Dragoon or, and I love Panzer Dragoon and I love the space Harrier games, but this, this beats both of them. I mean, just instantly as great as Panzer Dragoon is. And the remake is great too. Uh, this, this is a game series that needs to get picked up again. I was in awe that there was a sequel for the Wii. Um, and it was, they, they kind of made a big deal out of it, but man, I mean, just, just a, a must play for the N64. Um, all right, let's go on to number eight. So this is our last game. I know there's a long, long list of games that are not, no, actually it's not a long list, but there are games that you're thinking of that should be here, right? Like, is it going to be Banjo-Kazooie? No. Is it going to be Banjo-Tooie? No. Uh, whatever. I know if you were really into the N64 at the time or into its later life, or if you are into like hearing about these games that, you know, everybody kind of talked about, but not a whole lot of people actually got to play. This is one of those games, one of those games that also had a great marketing campaign around it. Very, very adult for Nintendo to even allow. So you've probably guessed it already. And that is Conker's Bad Fur Day. Uh, if you wanted to put this at your number one for the N64, I, I, I would support that decision. Um, it is, <laughs> it is an awesome, awesome game. It is a very lewd game. Uh, it probably has a little more hype and prestige around it because it was so alien to what Nintendo normally allowed and what Nintendo would normally even allow to get promoted. I mean, today, you know, who cares? Like whatever can show up, you know, sex games show up on, on switch. I mean, it, it's not, not nothing odd there, but back then, you know, in the late nineties and early aughts, uh, unheard of this game's just, just, Brilliant. And, and again, still holds, I mean, most people now, a lot of people have gone back and played it on emulator or whatever. And now people, you know, really hold it at legendary status and it deserves it. Um, just a, just a tremendous game. I, I'll tell you what I am not, we're not even going to talk about what the game's about. I told you the game's lewd. You've probably, if you're a gamer, you've probably already heard of it. Maybe you've even already played it. I challenge you to just go to YouTube and look up the commercials for this game. And then give the game a shot. I don't want to ruin. I don't want to spoil anything for you. So this is a bit of your mystery game and it's at number eight, but conquers bad fur day. Uh, really? I mean, I can't think even within its own, I can't think of another game quite like it. I love it. <laughs> so, so there you go. Conquers bad fur day. Uh, there are other games that could have made this list. Uh, I think killer instinct gold was fantastic on the N64 that could have easily been here. Um, I did mention jet force Gemini again. I was not going to include Mario 64 Majora's mask, uh, you know, or Ocarina of time or, 
uh, you know, Star Fox 64. I mean, those, everybody knows those, but also, like I said at the top, those are also available in far superior versions today. Um, you know, and to be clear, I don't think every remaster is somehow a far superior version. I still can't get it in my head to pick up Xenoblade Chronicles for the Switch after I've already had it for the 3DS, and that was an amazing experience. And that's already the second time that that system had been re-released or that that game had been re-released. I mean, I'm not always sold on this. So when I tell you that something is a superior experience, I want you to believe me. It really is, uh, you know, in, in the way that you play it. So that's why a lot of those games did not appear on here. Smash Brothers, that was really revolutionary at the time. But Smash Brothers, I feel like, while the gameplay is certainly great uh, and, and kind of unique, as for fighting games, it's something that really, it's something that I think requires the large roster. That's what gets everybody excited is they get to play their character in that way. Right. Um, that's what was always exciting for me with, uh, you know, with, with the smash brothers games. Um, I mean the smash brothers formula, as far as gameplay, I think Kirby fighters does it better, but just, you know, and with a much simpler roster, but if we're just talking like straight gameplay, they're very similar, but anyway, yeah. So that could have been here, you know, Mario Kart, you know what you're getting, but that's why that's not here. Pilot wing 64 could have been here. I mean, and again, the one that I really feel like killer instinct gold, the reason I didn't put it on because that could easily be in the top eight. The reason I didn't do that. And we didn't even talk about uh, a clay fighter, but the reason I didn't do that is because there, the competition at the time was like Tekken and virtual fighter. And those games were far better than what killer instinct was, was putting on, uh, you know, what, what it was offering. So that's why it didn't make uh make the top eight here. Uh, I'm sure you can think of some other games, but again, I challenge you, you know, is it, there are a lot of games that are great that are on the N64, but they're also on the PlayStation and often on the PlayStation, it's a much better version. So that's, that's part of my criteria for what I included in this list. But anyway, I think you have a lot to go check out. Um, you know, and, and I think you'll find if you've been wanting to play Goldeneye again with somebody, maybe crank up perfect dark because it plays just like Goldeneye with just more, you know, and, and, and a little more honed as well. Um, but everything else, I mean, you could pick up sin and punishments plays just as solid today. Uh, doom 64. I mean, any of these that you pick up the remasters or the modern versions for you're in for a great time. Uh, and that's an impressive thing for, I mean, as much as I, you may feel like I was knocking the N64 earlier, the fact that most of these games have amazing longevity and a lot of excitement around them when they get re-released today in 2020, says all you really need to know. I mean, and is one system worth having, you know, eight to 20 great games on it? Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. In my opinion, uh, a, a game system, you know, to dominate might need, you know, a couple hundred great games, but to, or, or at least, you know, great to good, but to be worthwhile. Oh no, you don't need that many games. Hell, the original Xbox, which we'll be getting to that. I'll be releasing that episode soon. The, the top eight for the original Xbox. Look, you don't need a top eight for the original Xbox. You just need Halo. And that really is enough. One great game is worth a system, in my opinion. Uh, in fact, I mean, I could start going down a whole road talking about, because I think this is a, this is a missed opportunity uh, by the gaming industry to, for like a game. And I've talked about this on Sovereign Tech over the years, like years ago where like League of Legends or some of these other systems or some of these other games could really 
you know, come out on custom hardware and like, it's one piece of hardware that plays one game, but the game is that amazing. Uh, I think that's a really, really missed opportunity because the way that you could merge the hardware in the game to make such a precise, beautiful experience. I mean, just think of it like it's like Mac with their, you know, the relationship between the OS and the beautiful hardware do that with gaming. It's a shame that that that's never really happened, but I don't want to get lost on that because we just finished up talking about the top eight N64 games of all time in Dr. Brian Sovereign's opinion. We'll wrap this one up and I will see all of you on the other side. Game over.